Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Welcome to Real Paranormal Activity, the network. Entertainment you'll enjoy. You are listening to an RPA production where people gather. Foss Corporation, LLC. Welcome once again to the mansion on the hill, the house of strange, the palace of mystery. This is the home of Terry's mysterious moments. This is season five. We thank you for listening to the show. Hello, everybody. This is Terry from Texas. I'm back. Got some interesting stories, I think, for you. First story, it's a scandal, thousands of years in the making. Recently, scientists at the Manchester Museum and University of Manchester discovered that a third of the museum's collection of ancient Egyptian animal mummies were empty. We always knew that not all animal mummies contained what we expected them to contain. Dr. Ladija McKnight, an Egyptologist from the University of Manchester, but we found a third don't contain any animal material at all. So no skeletal remains. That the number of fakeries was that high, McKnight says, was a surprise. Scientists discovered the ersatz mummies while conducting a scanning project to document how well the remains were preserved. After analyzing over 800 mummies of all shapes and sizes, the team was stunned to discover that only a third contained intact remains. Another third of the ancient mummy collection was stuffed with partial remains and the last third had no animal parts whatsoever. While the ancient Egyptians mummified humans in order to preserve their bodies for the afterlife, animal mummies were religious offerings, similar to lighting a candle in a church, and researchers believe they were in high demand. Over the years, Egyptian excavations have uncovered around 30 catacombs stacked floor to ceiling with mummified animals, which means that mummifying animals was probably big money in ancient Egypt, 
and was likely done on an industrial scale. Scientists believe that the animals were likely bred en masse, specifically to be turned into mummies. Can you imagine that? Thousands and thousands of animals being bred just to be killed and mummified? Mummy makers would have had a hard time keeping up with demand and turned to other materials to fill out their quotas. However, as Dr. McKnight tells Morell, the ancient Egyptians might not have been bothered by buying animal-free mummies. We think that they were mummifying pieces of animals that were lying around or materials associated with the animals during their lifetime. So, nest material or eggshells. They were special because they had been in close proximity with the animals. So, we don't think it's forgery or fakery. It's just that they were using everything they could find. And often the most beautifully wrapped mummies don't even contain the animal remains themselves. At the least, maybe it was the thought of Fluffy tagging along with you into the afterlife that counted. The ancient Egyptians didn't just mummify their dead human ancestors, they also mummified animals in their millions. It's possible up to 70 million animals were mummified and then buried in underground catacombs at over 30 sites across Egypt. At the Royal Manchester Children's Hospital, a team of radiographers and Egyptologists from the Center for Biomedical Egyptology at Manchester Hospital had been using the latest medical imaging technology to scan hundreds of animal mummies removed from Egypt during the 19th and 20th centuries. It's the biggest survey of its kind in history. Over three nights in autumn 2014, Horizon filmed around a dozen of these scans which have made the backbone for a documentary that tells the strange story of the bizarre role animals played in ancient Egyptian belief. Dr. Ladija McKnight led the Manchester team of radiographers and Egyptologists. They used a CT scanner and x-ray machine that would normally be used on children to see beneath the wrappings without damaging the ancient specimens inside. The team scanned a variety of different types of animal mummies, from wading birds and falcons, to cats and shrews, and even a five-foot-long Nile crocodile. The team really got a surprise when they discovered that the crocodile-shaped mummy contained not just one crocodile, but eight baby crocs, each carefully wrapped together. The scanning wasn't easy to film as each delicate mummy needed to be handled as little as possible. And they stopped filming as soon as an emergency human patient needed to use the scanner, which did happen a few times. But the final scan the team did was perhaps the most interesting. The outside of the mummy was shaped like a cat with tiny ears and a nose but the scans revealed something that had remained hidden since it was made thousands of years ago. Only a few pieces of cat bones were inside the wrappings. Ladija explained about a third of the animal mummies she scanned contained partial remains or even looked completely empty. 
The reason why is hotly debated. Some experts suggest animal mummies were being made to be sold to Egyptian pilgrims and so the ancient embalmers could take more profit by selling fake mummies. Others, like Ledija, believe it's evidence the ancient embalmers considered even the smallest parts of the animals to be sacred, so they went to just as much effort to mummify them correctly. In fact, a fake mummy was probably just as costly to make as a real mummy. Saqqara is an ancient Egyptian temple complex around an hour's drive from Cairo where millions of animal mummies are still buried. Molecular biologist Sally Wasif from Griffith University, Australia was filmed as she clambered down a narrow 12-meter deep shaft into an underground catacomb filled with the ancient mummified remains of wading birds called ibises. Sally collected samples of bones from the mummies so she could extract and compare their DNA, helping her to understand whether they had been intensively farmed. Also, Dr. Paul Nicholson from Cardiff University was followed, and he's been mapping and excavating the Saqqara site for over 20 years. Paul went deep under the desert to explore a network of tombs where up to 8 million mummified dogs had been buried. Egyptologist Professor Salima Ikram from the American University in Cairo has studied these mummified dogs and showed us how their bones contained evidence that they were bred and then killed to be mummified. In fact, at one time, animal mummification was such a massive industry in ancient Egypt that animals were intensively bred in their millions to satisfy what had become a national obsession with animal mummification. Now that's, you know, we talk about puppy mills and kitten mills and, you know, people making money off of selling huge litters of dogs and cats and then those animals showing up in, in uh, shelters when people get tired of them. This is, this is even worse to me because to breed millions of animals just to kill them to satisfy some kind of religious requirement to me is, is wrong. Although I have to look at the biblical times when people would be going to the temple and in order to bring a worthy sacrifice, they would buy doves or goats or sheep, whatever, outside the gates of the temple and then take them into the priests to be sacrificed. So I don't, I don't see that there's much difference there. It's just as wrong to me. But it, I guess it does satisfy a certain requirement in your religious life. So I can understand it. Our next story involves people living near 17th and Chandler Avenues in Awatuki, which is a Phoenix suburb, described a mysterious shaking that's being felt across the neighborhood. Now, you know, we have the Taos hum, which people there say they hear all the time, or they hear part of the time, or they hear some of the time. 
but this thing is relatively new apparently and this whole neighborhood this valley neighborhood felt an intense shaking early Tuesday last week I guess it was with little to no explanation of what it was people who live in the area are confused as to what they heard and felt just kind of like a rumbling that made the house move a bit one resident's name Rick said I don't know what that was but it hit my roof something hit the roof I came out and looked and there was nothing there said another resident named Lorraine I was walking into my kitchen area and all of a sudden there was a boom that rattled the windows just like a sonic boom said a resident named Chris Experts like Michael Conway with the Arizona Geological Survey at the University of Arizona said that nothing sizable was recorded. No shakes in the ground that they could feel, uh, that they were monitoring. Uh, no evidence of a minor earthquake. But he did say that Arizona has more quakes and shakes than you'd expect. Conway said, within Arizona, we probably see 50 to 100 earthquakes originating. Once a year, twice a year, we're going to see magnitude 3. Once a year, twice a year, we're going to see magnitude 3 through 5 events occurring. The Arizona Geological Survey has about 15 seismometers across the state. But Conway said an earthquake wasn't recorded. There was nothing there. In trying to explain these loud booms and shaking homes, an earthquake is an unlikely reason. According to the Arizona Geological Association at U University of Arizona, the last earthquake felt by the Phoenix area was in 2015, when a 4.1 magnitude hit Black Canyon City, well north of Ahwatukee. The Geological Association said the most likely reason is the sonic boom. I remember back in the 70s and 80s, I think it was, there were earthquakes off the east coast of the United States and nobody could identify what they were, why they were being made, um, I don't think there was ever an explanation for them other than the fact that they happened. And it would be like a huge sonic boom out over the water that would could be felt and heard on land. Sometimes atmospheric conditions that I don't fully understand can transmit energy from supersonic training flights a long way from where the flights are occurring, possibly on the Barry M. Goldwater Air Force Range in southwestern Arizona, for example, said a spokesperson for the Geological Association. It, it only lasted five seconds, if that, Rick said. It was quick. It was not long enough for me to think it was an earthquake, as it was more of an air impact on the house or the window, like a, a large bird had hit the window. 
or the side of the house, Chris said. I went to look outside and there's no bird at all. Down the street, Kyle Thompson had said, the sound affected his home too, sounding as if the roof was coming down. Part of our house or our second floor roof was caving in. That's what it sounded like, said Thompson. Interesting what this thing may have been. No no good explanations for it. What it may have been, okay, you can you can theorize and guess. Just another earth mystery that we can add to the, the other earth mysteries, the other earth sounds. Now, I'd like to go a, a bit off script and have a one-sided discussion. I'll discuss, and y'all just let me bend your ears about something for a bit. A couple of weeks ago, I posted a thought on Facebook a theory, really, about a possible, possible, mind you, this is just a theory, so it's not provable in in my line of work. Uh, I don't work, I'm just here. But it's possible, and it's a possible connection between two criminals and a well-known cryptid. And here's what I wrote on Facebook. I have a theory the Texarkana, Texas multiple murderer, known as the Phantom Killer, was never found. Those events attributed to the Phantom, the deaths of five residents in 1949, were never solved and the murderer was never identified nor was he caught. We jumped to 1971 when a resident of Texarkana on the Arkansas side reported that he was attacked by some sort of beast near his home. Several encounters occurred around the home. This was in the area of Boggy Creek around Falk, Arkansas, and on researching the story, it was found that reports of a creature were made to the Miller County or the Texarkana Sheriff back, going back to 1946. My thought is, and this is my theory, no proof of it. My thought is that the creature and the phantom were one and the same, owing to the explanation that many believe that the Bigfoot, the skunk ape, Sasquatch, whatever you want to call them, are possibly interdimensional beings. The phantom exhibits qualities like Jack the Ripper did in 1888 London and some believe that Jack was a momentary personalization of an ethereal evil, thus making Jack also possibly an interdimensional being. Any discussion on that? I make these comments based on my own beliefs and based on some investigations into appearances of Bigfoot-type creatures on the so-called Skinwalker Ranch in Utah. Residents and investigators have reported sightings of Bigfoot-type creatures on the ranch. The reports say things like, the reporter saw a Bigfoot, and then it would either go poof, disappear outright, 
or disappear as though having stepped through some sort of portal. And it would just kind of phase out. As with many Bigfoot sightings, as in Skunk Ape and Sasquatch sightings, the critters are there one second and then they're not. People report it all the time. They see what they think is a Bigfoot behind a tree looking at them and then it just goes away. Only sometimes are these critters seen leaving an area by running or simply walking away. Many times it's they were there, then they weren't type of ending to the sighting. We know that's not always a fact. Take, for instance, the famous or infamous Patterson-Gimlin film of 1967, shot at Bluff Creek, a tributary of the Klamath River, about 25 logging road miles northwest of Orleans, California, in Del Norte County, in the Six Rivers National Forest. The short clip shows a Bigfoot critter walking away from the camera while looking back over its, because we don't know if it's a him or her, shoulder at the camera. It simply walks away and it doesn't go poof or fold up into nothingness. In fact, back in the time when it was reported, Someone said that it looks like the creature is a baseball umpire walking back to the base after a questionable call. And we know there were suspects in the Texarkana murders, but no one panned out for any of the investigators, and no one ever saw anyone who could be considered a suspect. Oh, there were lots named. And the sheriff even came out and said, be kind to your neighbors. Don't name them as the suspect just because you don't like them. Be kind. So could the phantom share qualities with the local cryptid and be able to disappear or return forthwith to its place of origin or the nearest convenient parallel dimension? And the fact that no one apparently saw a suspect in Whitechapel during or immediately after any of the Ripper murders suggests that Jack, or could it have been Jill, may have been a resident of the ethereal realm. Think of other situations where evildoers went poof and bye-bye and were never seen. The Villisca Axe Murderer in Iowa, June 1912. The Servant Girl Annihilator in Austin, Texas, December of 1884 to December of 1885. The Borden Murders, Massachusetts, 1892. Because some have more recently postulated that Lizzie Borden had been possessed by an ethereal evil spirit who used her to kill her parents. The New Orleans Axeman, May 1918 to October of 1919. The Zodiac, San Francisco's and surrounding area in the late 60s, early 70s, and the Cleveland Torso Murderer, also known as the Mad Butcher of Kingsbury Run in Cleveland, Ohio in the 1930s. This case had the distinction of being investigated, but to no avail, 
by legendary lawman Elliot Ness, who was a real person. These cases have similarities because they've not been solved and there seem to be no valid suspects. My earlier expressed theory says Bigfoot, Jack the Ripper, the Texarkana Phantom, and a handful of other never-found killers and critters may be interdimensional creatures. I don't know if that's actually a possibility. That's what suppositions are. That's what theories are. They're, these are could-bes. It works when explaining why these boogers have never been found, though. I believe in the Bigfoot, the Skunk Ape, Sasquatch, Yeti, the Yowie, whatever you want to call it, even the Orang Pendek in Sumatra, whatever you want to call those rascals. Why do I believe in them? I couldn't tell you the first thing. It's just, to me, it sounds right. So, I believe. I believe in UFOs, too, because I've seen them. I don't necessarily hold to aliens, but the supernatural is a very quirky area to be believing in. Well, that's the show for this week. Thanks for being along for the ride. I want to remind you that on Mondays, Aaron Hunter brings you Real Paranormal activity the podcast Aaron reads listener stories mostly ghost stories sometimes UFOs sometimes cryptids on Tuesday Aaron Frail brings you Aaron's horror show different things that he's written he reviews movies books things like that on Wednesday it's me Terry from Texas with Terry's Mysterious Moments where we talk about just about anything there is to talk about and at the first weekend of the month Aaron has instituted a new area called entertaining short films that's exactly what they are they're just short stories nothing in particular no particular genre just entertaining Remember that you can go to your app store, whether you have Apple or Android, download the RPA app, which is a black square with a blue eye in the middle of it. Download that to the device that you listen to the program on. Install it, and when you open that up, you can go straight to the Real Paranormal Activity, the podcast, and its network. So all the, all the stories that are involved with RPA are there, so you don't have to go hunting for them. If you want to contact me at Terry's Mysterious Moments, you can do that on the Facebook page, and it's called Terry's Mysterious Moments. Or you can email me at Terry's Mysterious Moments at gmail.com. Contact me if you want to. Let's talk about some things. That's about it. We'll be back again. Listen to the other shows. Have a good week, everybody.
Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.